Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. new this morning. Uh, this is our first, or excuse me, this is our second week in a brand new series that we just started um, called Creed. It's called Creed. And uh, no, we are not talking about Rocky. Um, we are going back to a, a, one of the creeds, the oldest Christian creed um, in Christendom. And we are looking at what does it mean to be, to be a believer? What do you got to believe in order to be a believer. I think if you're going to be a believer, you ought to know what you believe, okay? And so we're going back to this, this really old creed. It's called the Old Roman Creed, and we're looking at it. We're taking one stanza at a time and just tracking through this and seeing what does it mean to be a believer. And last week, Pastor Brandon did such an eloquent and powerful job of launching this series off on the first stanza. But before I get into the portion I'm going to preach, I just want to read the creed to you. This is the old Roman creed. Uh, It was written in 125 AD. It says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Christ Jesus, his only son, our Lord who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come and judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church, the remissions of sins, the, the, the resurrection of the flesh, and the life everlasting, that this is what we believe. We believe these things. And uh, this morning, I just want us to look at that second stanza of this old Roman creed, and it is this. It's that I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And real quickly, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn over to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, that you can turn to. I'm sure you got a neck and you can turn it to the screen, okay? Turn it to the screen. We we brought a Bible for you. Mark chapter five, we'll start at verse 21 and it says this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying this. He says this, my daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him and a great crowd followed them and and thronged about him. There's a word you don't use every day, and thronged about him. Um, This morning in our Creed series, I'm really wanting to preach a message that I'm simply titling this, Interrupted Miracles. Interrupted Miracles. Miracles. I know that may not make some sense right now, but I pray that by the end of today, it'll make some sense. But really what I'm praying makes sense is the person of Jesus, the reality of a risen king. I pray that that makes some sense this morning. Preach a message called Interrupted Miracles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that you are here right now. Lord, I thank you that this was your idea long before this moment was on the hearts of our staff, on the hearts of our leadership. Lord, this moment was on your heart. And Lord, I pray that right now you would do what only you can do. Lord, I thank you that this isn't just going to be a motivational speech. This isn't just going to be lofty ideas. Lord, I thank you that we are not going to leave here saying, wow, what a sermon. We're going to leave here saying, wow, what a savior. 
Lord, I thank you that we would see Jesus in his sufficiency, in his enoughness, in his authority this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna minister to the hearts of these, those in here and those listening to me by way of live stream. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna do something maybe they ever, never even thought you'd be willing to do. Lord, touch us in the place we need touch this morning. Put me on like a glove and go to work. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on. Amen, church, amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, desperate times call for desperate measures? Come on, I'm sure you've heard it. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I was thinking about this recently, and I was instantly reminded of a legendary story in our family. I don't know if your family has legendary stories, um, but my family, we got some legendary stories. And this story involves my great-grandparents, okay? And so obviously, they're like my great-grandparents, okay? They like sat next to Jesus in the third grade, okay? They lived a day or two ago, all right? And so uh, just to set the scene for you, they were around 17 and 18 in about 1948, okay? And for those, me just saying that arbitrary year did not paint the scene for you, um, that is around the same time Allie and Noah are falling in love in the notebook, okay? 17 and 18 in 1940. And so uh, my great-grandparents were 17 and 18, and they were just dating at the time. And my great-grandpa developed this horrible habit that before every single holiday, he broke up with my great-grandma, okay? It was because he was a cheapskate, okay? He was a cheapskate. He didn't want to spend any money on that holiday. So right before every major holiday, he would break up with my great-grandma. And around this, the, the time this story takes place, it was right before Valentine's Day, okay? And I could not tell this story because, listen to me, gentlemen, Valentine's Day, <laughs> is tomorrow, okay? I came to save your soul and your marriage and your relationship, okay? Don't let this be the last time you end up in church because you forgot Valentine's Day and your wife disposed of your body, all right? So Valentine's Day is tomorrow. So Valentine's Day was right around the corner and obviously he's an old dog, but he doesn't have any new tricks, right? And so he breaks up with my great grandma, and you know, she saw it coming. You know, Christmas had just passed. You know, come on, Joe, we just got back together, okay? Come up with something new, all right? So he's like, Clara, that was, that's her name. Clara, I think, I think we need to go our separate ways. And she says, yeah, whatever, Joe. And so obviously they're broken up and he's now this, this free agent, right? He's enjoying his little single life, okay? And this other girl started kind of showing some interest and he thinks, I'll take you out on a date. Okay, he broke up with my great-grandma to not spend money, but I guarantee you he spent more money trying to impress this new girl than he ever would have if he just stuck with the old thing, okay? It's just this, this male logic never works, guys, okay? I can say this because I am one of you, all right? If we take a 30,000-look view at this, it, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't make any sense, okay? So he goes on this date with this other girl, and they're driving around in luscious La Mesa, Texas, okay? And if you, if you thought that was like legit, that just shows you've never been to La Mesa, okay? San Angelo is like the Garden of Eden compared to La Mesa, all right? So they're driving around La Mesa, Texas. They're driving around the town square and all of a sudden they're driving and my great-grandpa looks into this other car to see my great-grandmother on a date with another dude, okay? She's like, two can play this game, Joe, okay? She's like, I'm gonna play 
the player, okay? I'm going to give him some of his own medicine, all right? So she's on a date with this other guy. He sees this and becomes absolutely perturbed, okay? This is no word of a lie. This is how the story goes. He whips the car over, pulls the car over, throws it into park, turns the car off, jumps out of the car, leaves his date sitting in the car. He begins to run across the La Mesa downtown square, runs alongside that car. They slow down out of sheer bewilderment. Like, who is this crazy man running? She's like, it's my ex. You know, that's <laughs> never fun, you know? And so it's a great way to start a relationship. Your ex is chasing you down, okay? He's running alongside the car. They slow down, slow down enough. He grabs the handle of the moving car, opens the door, and jumps in the front seat with them, okay? He played to the fact that if the guy was driving, he couldn't reach over and strangle him, right? You know what I mean? Like, 10 and 2, okay? So he jumps in the car, and he sits there, and he wins my great-grandma back in the front seat of this other man's car. You guys think you're slick for sliding in girls' DMs and sending girls' messages? Okay, Joe Dean was slick. He slid into the front seat of another man's car in Texas, okay? He may got a God, my goodness, but he slid in the front seat and the winds are back and eventually my grandma was born and then my dad was born and now I'm here to preach the gospel to you today all because Joe Dean jumped inside that car. Glory be to God. But desperate times call for desperate measures. And I don't know about you, but when I've been in a desperate situation, it is because time in and of itself is of the essence. Time is something I do not have much of. I don't have a moment to lose. And I couldn't help but notice that here in Mark chapter 5, we find a man who's in the exact same predicament. Time is of the essence, and he does not have a moment to lose. In Mark chapter 5, the, the chapter starts out with Jesus on one side of the lake, and he heals this man who is a demoniac, okay? He was a man possessed by a legion of demons, and he casts them out, and all of a sudden, Jesus thinks, all right, my work here's done, and he goes on to the other side of the lake. He hits the beach, and everyone Shows up on that beach. Everybody wants to check Jesus out. And here's what I want you to notice. All of a sudden, the Bible puts a spotlight on one man named Jairus. And what I want you to understand about Jairus is this. Jairus is not just a normal guy. He's not just a run-of-the-mill dude. He's not just your average, ordinary Joe. You have to understand this about Jairus is the fact that he, the Bible calls him the ruler of a synagogue. He's the ruler of a synagogue. Some of you are like, a synagogue, what? It's a synagogue. What it is, is essentially a church. It was a church in this day and age. What Jairus is, is he is a big religious deal. He's a real big religious deal. You have to understand, in order to be the ruler of a synagogue, he would have had to grow up steeped in scripture. He would have literally had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah. And then inside of that Torah, there are 613 plus Levitical and Mosaic laws that Jairus would have had to memorize and live by perfectly, perfectly. This man is steeped in scripture. He is a pious man. He is a religious man. He crosses every T, dots every I. He's a real big religious deal. But here's what I want you to see. Though Jairus is extremely religious, here in Mark chapter five, 
he's still extremely helpless without Jesus. And I wanna point that out to you because I want you to understand what Jairus found out in this moment, that there is a difference between the synagogue and the savior. There is a big difference between the synagogue and the savior. What I'm trying to say is that there is a difference between church and Jesus. A lot of us, we bank our eternal security on the fact that I show up here every week. I read my Bible every day. I've got scripture memorized. I pray before I even take one bite, before I even look at my food. I pray. And we bank our eternal security on these arbitrary religious things. I'm here to tell you, church can't save anyone, but Jesus can save everyone. You may have gotten saved in the church, but listen to me, you were not saved by the church. Celebration Church did not climb up on that cross and take your place. Last I checked, it was one man and his name is Jesus. And if it was enough for me, it's enough for you. The church can't save anybody, but listen to me, it's a great place to meet the one who can. And Jairus had to realize that being religious is one thing, but stepping into a relationship with Jesus is a whole nother thing. Can I tell you right now, Jesus did not die to start a religion. He didn't die to start a religion. He died to start a relationship with you, a personal, intimate relationship. And Jairus has to come to the realization, though I'm religious, I'm still helpless without Jesus, without Jesus. So all of a sudden we see that there's Jairus and Jesus, but remember, there's a huge crowd all pressing in around them. There's a huge crowd, yet the Bible zeroes in On this one man, Jesus sees this one man. And what I want you to notice is this. Though Jesus is among the many, he still takes time for the man. That was better than you realize. Even among the many, Jesus takes time for one man. Can I tell you right now, I understand that you are literally sitting in a crowd of people right now. And it would be easy to think that this message is for everybody but you. But can I tell you right now, while I'm preaching to everybody, God is preaching to you. Well, I'm talking to everybody in this room. God is taking time for you. You showed up here out of divine appointment is what I'm trying to say. God had you show up here because he's trying to persuade you that he's more faithful to you than you could ever be to him. Even among the many, Jesus takes time for the man. Can I tell you that man this morning is you? Or ladies, that woman this morning is you? Jesus wants to meet you in a special way. We didn't come here to check a religious box. We came here to meet a man. So Jesus takes time for this guy named Jairus and thank goodness he does because remember, time is something his little daughter does not have much of. Time is something that is running out. He told Jesus, please come lay your hands on my daughter. She's at the point of death. Time's of the essence. Any second now, she could die. So all of a sudden, Jesus goes with him, and Jairus, you can imagine, he just begins to push through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, Jesus, this way, Jesus, this way, excuse me, hey, make way, my daughter's about to die, excuse me, excuse me, and Jesus is like, hey, we're, we're coming, we're coming. Jairus is like, excuse me, excuse me, just a couple more blocks, Jesus, just a couple more blocks. And Jesus is like, okay, okay, and then Jesus does something crazy. In the middle of them trying to get over to this girl who is at the point of death, all of a sudden, Jesus goes, wait, wait, and you can imagine Jairus goes, No, no wait, no time to wait, okay? Point of death, she's about to die. We gotta move, we gotta skedaddle. And Jesus goes, no, no, wait. Who touched me? Who 
Who touched me? All of a sudden, the crowd just begins to look around. And all of a sudden, you see this little frail woman begins to crawl into the picture, begins to enter into full focus. You have to understand this woman, the Bible says that she has an issue of blood. Now, some of you who may not be familiar with her story, you can think, well, she's got like constant nosebleeds. What is this issue? Like coughing up blood? That's gross. No, listen to me. Her issue is quite and definitely more intimate and personal and private than that. This woman, she has a feminine issue. She's basically on a prolonged, unending cycle. She can't stop bleeding. She started one day and thought, okay, this happens about once a month. It'll shape up later on. And it never did. She's lived, can can you imagine living in the worst week of your life unendingly in a never ending sick cycle and loop of the worst week of your life? This is where this woman is at. She can't stop. She bleeds all day, bleeds all night. So the Bible tells us this, that she literally spent all her money trying to get better. The Bible says she went from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to remedy this issue. And the Bible says this, she went broke doing this. She wasted all her money. Notice this, she went broke trying to heal her own brokenness. She went broke trying to heal her own brokenness. Have you ever gone broke trying to heal your own brokenness? You ever gone broke? Some of you, you're literally broke from how you've tried to heal your own brokenness. You spend way too much money on substances and beverages trying to numb some damaged part of you on the inside. Some of you, you've literally gone broke over how you've tried to heal your own brokenness. Some of you, it's not your bank account that's in trouble. Some of you, it's your marriage. Your marriage is broke from how you've tried to heal your own brokenness. You've made your spouse your savior and demanded that they heal you. Demanded that they touch the innermost parts of who you are. Demanded that they fill that void. Listen to me, they're your spouse, not your savior. Her name's Jessica, not Jesus. Please do not forget that. But for some of you, how you have tried to heal your own brokenness has broken an important and key relationship in your life. And some of you, maybe it's just that you've gone emotionally broke. You don't have two pennies of joy or peace to rub together because of how you've tried to heal and numb and cope with your own brokenness. I don't know what it is for you, but I know in one way or another, we've all gone broke trying to heal our own brokenness. And can I tell you right now, trying to heal yourself in and of yourself, all by yourself, can I tell you what it will do? It will always leave you bankrupt. It will always leave you broke. Last I checked, only the architect of your soul can put your soul back together. It's time that you stop looking to everyone who knows nothing about you and go to the one who knows everything about you, more than you even know about you. She's gone broke, but notice this, not only is she broke, she's more broken than she started. Isn't it funny how the things we run to, they don't just, they don't not fix us, they end up breaking us in a new way. They break us in a brand new way, something that was working, something that was functioning, because we ran to that rather than running to Jesus, we are now more broken than we walked in. 
The things that we run to, they will always break us in a brand new way. And I came here to ask you today, when will you wake up to this is what happens when you keep running to you? It's hard to run to Jesus when you keep running to you. It's so hard to run to Jesus when you keep running to yourself. I will pick myself up. I will dust myself up off. I will set my life right. It's hard to run to Jesus when you keep running to you. She's gone broke and she's gotten more broken trying to heal her own brokenness. But the Bible also says this. It says this, she lives under the Levitical law. So this is honestly way worse than it would be for you and I. Listen to me, because Leviticus 15 tells us what happens to a woman who is in such a predicament. When a woman starts her cycle, the Bible says that in Leviticus 15 that she is labeled unclean. For those seven days of her life, she is unclean. Anything she touches becomes unclean. Any bed she lays on, it's unclean. Any chair she sits in, it's unclean. It's gotta be washed with the ceremonial washing. And while she is unclean, she has to be quarantined, cut off from society. And the problem was, is one day this bleeding started. It was no big deal, this is normal. But then the week ended and the bleeding didn't. And one week turned into two and two weeks turned into four. It's been a month and one month turns into six. It's been half a year and six months turns into a year and a year turns into two and two years turns into six and six years turns into 12 years of her dealing with this. 12 long, agonizing, lonely years of wondering what's wrong with me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is wrong with me? Can I tell you it's because you haven't found the lover of your soul. You haven't found the anchor of your life. There's nothing wrong with you. It's what's not with you. It's what's not with you. She sits there and wonders, what is wrong with me? And notice this. Notice this. The Bible never even mentions her name. We never get her name. Can I tell you, that's what 12 years of dealing with an issue will do. It will beat you up one side and down the other until all you identify with is your issue. Beat you up one side and down the other until you don't even know who you are anymore. All you know is what's wrong with you. Have you ever been known by your issue before people knew your name? Walk into a place and you hear people, hey, hey, hey who's that guy? Oh, that's so-and-so, oh, really, Who, who's that? Oh, you know him, he's the one that, oh, really? Dang, yeah, I heard about him. Oh, who's that girl? Oh, you don't know her? She's the one that, oh, shoot, that's her? Yeah, I heard that story. You're known by your issue. Your issue has become your identity. That's what 12 years of dealing with this issue will do. But here's what I love about this woman. Eventually, she's had enough. And some of you, your problem is that you just haven't had enough yet. You haven't had enough. Because Can I tell you this this morning? I know this is a little strong, but you can only be a victim as long as you are willing to be victimized. You can only be a victim as long as you are still willing to be victimized. But when you finally get over the fact that you're a victim and you step out of your victim's mentality, God will begin to allow you to step out of being a victim and into the victorious man or woman of God that he has predestined you to be. You can only be a victim as long as you're willing to be victimized. So she says, that's it, I've had enough of this. I'd rather die out in the streets than rot away here in isolation. 
So she begins to make her way through the crowd. The Bible tells us that she heard the utterances. She heard the stories. She heard the testimonies of what Jesus could do. So she begins to risk it. Now we love to praise this woman, which I deserve. I, I agree she deserves some praise. She made it in the Bible. I did not, okay? We ought to give her some credit, okay? But we love to give this woman a lot of credit. Like she just had so much faith. She said, if I just touch the end of his garment, I'll be made whole, 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 whole. We love to like give her all this credit, but listen to me, this woman did not do this because she just had so much faith. This woman did it because she didn't want to be seen or noticed. She was ashamed to be showing her face in public. And listen to this, she was scared for her life because the Levitical law said that if someone who is unclean is found where they're not supposed to be, they could legally be stoned right there. She's trying to save her life. So she comes out no doubt in a cloak, and she slithers through the crowd, and Jesus passes by, and she reaches out, and she, wham! She touches his garment, and she gets healed of her disease. The Bible literally says, and immediately, let's look at it. I'll prove it to you, just so you know, I ain't, I ain't lying. Mark chapter 5, verse 28, let's throw verse 28 up, and 29, it says this, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well, and immediately, I get jazzed over that immediately because I'm one of those weird people that actually believes the Bible. I'm one of those weird people that believes we serve the God of immediately, that you can walk in depressed and you can leave with real joy, that you can walk in anxious and you can leave with real peace. I'm one of those weird remnants that actually believes the word of God, believes that he is who he says he is. I came here to tell you we serve the God of the immediate but some of you, you look at that and you're like, yeah, that's great, Kenan. She got immediately healed. But I've been showing up to church for years and I still have the same old stuff. It hasn't exactly been immediate in my life. And here's what I wanna point out to you. Yes, she got healed immediately, but listen, it took 12 years to get that immediately. Don't you dare forget, it took 12 long, agonizing years to get her immediately, to get her immediately. I wanna tell you this, do not doubt your incremental healing just because someone else's was immediate. Do not doubt your incremental healing just because someone else's was immediate. Can I just tell you, if it took them 30 seconds to tell you their testimony, they didn't tell you everything. If it took them 30 seconds to tell you their life's story, they did not tell you everything. Yeah, they, they may have been changed immediately, but they didn't tell you about those nights that they thought about running back. They didn't tell you about those nights that they sat there in withdrawals, simply craving and sweating for just another hit. And a faithful friend stood there and said, no, you gave your life to Jesus and he's bringing, this, he's bringing you out of this and I'm sticking by your side. They didn't tell you about that. They just said, and immediately I was healed. Listen to me, don't you dare judge your incremental healing based on someone else's immediate healing. God is working in your life. It took her 12 years to get that immediately. So the Bible says she touches Jesus. She felt, listen to me, the Bible says she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus goes, wait! Who touched me? Who touched me? And the Bible says she comes up and she tells him her whole story, the whole story I just told you about the 12 years. And Jesus looks at this woman. This is verse 34. Jesus looks at this woman 
And he says this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, can I ask you a question? Did Jesus need to do this to let her know that she was healed? Uh, No. The Bible told us she felt in her body before this that she was healed of her disease. She already knows I've been healed. So Jesus doesn't stop this whole thing to tell her something she already knows. In fact, he stopped this whole thing to tell her one thing she did not know. And it was that one word that started it all. Daughter. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That means they have similar stories throughout. This story is recorded in all three, and all three of them share that same exact detail that Jesus looked into the whites of her eyes and said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Because listen to me, Jesus refused to allow her to leave with a healed body and a broken identity. Jesus refused to allow her to leave with a healed body and a broken identity. Can I tell you this morning, your identity matters to God. The way that you see you, it matters to God. The way that you feel about yourself, it matters to God. Your identity matters. Can I tell you right now, that's what the enemy is after. He's after your identity. Every battle you will ever face spiritually is over your identity, every single one. That's why your identity in Christ is the remedy for it all. That's why knowing who the heck you are in Jesus is the one all fix all. It's the one stop shop. Your identity matters to God. What you think about you, it matters to God because you're made in his image. And for you to see yourself as anything less than that is for you to live in a lie. And he paid too high a price to continue to allow you to live in a lie. Your identity, it matters to God. And he refuses to allow her to leave with a healed body and a broken identity. He says, I need to tell you who you are because you haven't heard it in 12 years. You haven't heard it in so long. Let me remind you that you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, that you're the lender, not the borrower, that you're a victor, never a victim. I paid too high a price for you to see yourself as some sad, sick sack of crap. I pay too high a price for you to see yourself like that. He refuses to allow her to leave with a healed body and a broken identity. Does this whole thing slip that one word, daughter? Faith has made you well. And I think we could probably close the service here, and I think people would probably even say yes to Jesus. But listen to me, here's what I want you to see. Is while Jesus is having this moment with this woman, Jairus is off to the side watching everything happen. Sitting there, tapping his foot, saying, can we like go? Remember my my daughter? Yeah, she's at the point of death. I don't know if you forgot, but my daughter is dying. Can we get on with it? I don't know if you realized it, but this woman interrupted his miracle. She interrupted his miracle. Have you ever felt like your miracle was interrupted? Have you ever felt like God was really getting somewhere and all of a sudden you began to began to go somewhere with God and all of a sudden something cut in and cuts you off at the past? You ever felt like your miracle was interrupted? She interrupted his miracle. And this is the crazy thing. This is the crazy thing. I never noticed this. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid and I'm a preacher. I'm familiar with this story and I never noticed this until like two weeks ago. This is crazy. Verse 34 says this. Let's throw it up. 34 and 35, it says this. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And the next verse says this. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, yeah, your daughter is dead. He's listening to Jesus say, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then hearing in his ear, yeah, but your daughter, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Give up. It's over. You were this close, but you fell short. He's watching what Jesus can do. And then hearing in his ear, yeah, but it's too late for you. Not only, I dare say, is his miracle, has his miracle been interrupted, I would dare say his miracle was stolen. Have you ever felt like somebody stole your miracle? Have you ever prayed for something and then had to watch your best friend get the thing you were praying for? Have you ever been believing God for a promotion and then the guy who seems least qualified for the job gets the position you believe God wrote your name on? Have you ever felt like somebody stole your miracle? This woman, no doubt, steals Jairus' miracle. And this is what I love. All of a sudden, we see this, that Jairus is hearing in one ear something that should be building his faith. He's hearing, daughter, your faith has made you well. That should make him full of faith. But then he's hearing in this ear, yeah, but Jesus can't heal your daughter because she's dead. I think that's where the tension of our lives is found. It's found in between hearing something that should be building your faith and then something that's out to break your faith. Something that should be building your faith and something that should break your faith. That is where the tension of our lives is found. Can I tell you right now, just because I stand on this stage and hold this microphone does not exempt me from this. That is where the tension of my life is found, in between hearing something that should build my faith and hearing something that's trying to break my faith. And the question is, what will you lean into? Who are you gonna listen to? And here's what I love. Verse 35 says, don't bother the teacher anymore. And verse 36, woo, comes in with some sweet vengeance. Verse 36 says this, that while, or excuse me, but while they were speaking, Jesus overheard them. That while they're whispering in Jairus' ear, Jesus hears what they are saying. Can I tell you right now, my Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will always raise up a standard against him. Can I tell you, you're not alone in this fight. Jesus hears what the enemy is saying. He overheard the, the bad and false report that they were telling Jairus and Jesus turns and says, hey, do not fear, only believe. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, that the blood of Jesus, it speaks a better word. That every time the enemy comes knocking on your door, the Lord will always give you a word to stand on. He is not alone in this moment. The weight is not on his shoulders to make the right decision. Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And the reason he asks Jairus to only believe is because believing is the thing only Jairus can do. Believing is the thing that only Jairus can do. Can I tell you right now, Jesus cannot believe in himself for you. That is the one thing Jesus cannot do for you. He cannot believe in himself for you. That is your job. Only you can believe that Jesus can do what only he can do for you. And that's why Jesus says, hey, don't fear, only believe. Don't, it's not get it all right, it's not stand strong, it's not be super militant, it's believe that I'm strong enough to carry the, the, the most fragile parts of you. Speaks a better word. So Jairus listens and he runs and they go to his house 
And this is where I begin to wind down. If I can have somebody come up and play quietly behind me. Oh, man. They begin to go to Jairus' house. And the Bible says that when they get there, Jesus hears a great commotion. In fact, let's look at it. I think it's verse 38. It says they hear a great commotion. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. People crying up a storm. Now you have to ask yourselves, of course they're crying up a storm. This woman, this girl is dead. But here's what I want you to notice. When Jesus walks in, he tells them to quit crying. Now listen to me, that sounds really unsympathetic. But listen to me, Jesus is, Jesus is extremely sympathetic. We see in John 11, when Lazarus dies, Jesus gets to the tomb and he takes a moment to cry with everyone. Jesus is not anti-tears. He's anti-fake tears. Because my Bible says, my Bible study told me, that showed me that these people who they have weeping and wailing at the house, they are paid mourners. Paid mourners. Mourners, they were paid to come and cry with the family. That's what they would do. The people would literally make a living just going from bad situation to bad situation and crying with the people who were there. And Jesus is like, no, this is all smoke and mirrors. This is fake, dried up. Y'all don't mean any of this. And I know that some of us, we'd be hard on these people. Why would you invite people, pay people to come and cry with you? But can I tell you right now, we do the same thing every day. We keep people around us who will tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. People around us who will allow us to stay a victim. People around us who will allow us to wallow in our shame, who will allow us to wallow in what happened to us rather than speaking the word of God over what happened to us. We do the same thing all the time. And Jesus comes in and says, button it up. This is all smoke and mirrors. This is fake. This is a mirage. You don't mean any of this. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And here's how I know that they were faking it. Because the next verse said that after Jesus says this, it says, and they laughed at him. And they laughed at him. I don't know about you, but when I'm weeping for real, I can't just bust into laughter the next moment. Jesus says one sentence and they go from weeping loudly to belly laughing at Jesus. Notice they are laughing at Jesus's faith. Has your faith ever been laughed at? Your faith for your family, your faith for your business, your faith for your own soul? Has it ever been laughed at? Can I tell you you're in good company? Jesus's faith was laughed at. They laughed at the faith of the son of God that he believed God could do anything through him. And here's what I love. It says this, and they laughed at him. The next verse says this, but he put them all outside. Woo! Jesus is a gangster. They laughed at him. And Jesus goes, oh, you want to laugh? We're going to laugh outside. You're going to laugh outside. Can I tell you, this gives you a little biblical permission that when people begin to laugh at your faith, you don't got to silence them, but you do got to distance yourself from them. Jesus says, oh, you want to laugh? Let me show you where the door is. In fact, let me open it for you. Let me be a nice little Christian and then shut it behind you because we're believing God for a miracle up in here. We're believing God for the miraculous up in here. We're believing God can turn any situation around up in here. Can I tell you right now, there is nothing more detrimental to your miracle than your inner circle. There is nothing more detrimental to your miracle than your inner circle. And Jesus says, no, you ain't gonna stand in faith and you can't stand with us. You're gonna stand out there. You're gonna stand out there. We don't hate you, but you're not about this. So you can't stand with this. Jesus begins to prune his inner circle. Can I tell you, you need to prune your inner circle. 
you need to check your circle. It's your inner circle that can make or break the miracle in your life. You need people who will speak the word of God over your situation. Begin to prune your inner circle. So Jesus, this is where I literally wind down. Jesus sits there. He's already kicked them out. He's standing there with Jairus, Jairus' wife, Peter, James, and John. It's just a little group of them in there with the door shut. And Jesus grabs the hand of this little girl. She's dead. She's dead. And Jesus grabs the hand of this little girl. And before I tell you what he says, I want to show you what he doesn't say. He does not grab the hand of this little girl and say, um, wait a second, before I um, raise her from the dead, let me, let me ask you, can you tell me what kind of little girl this is? Can you tell me, is she, is she a good little girl? Is she one of the good ones? Does she mind her mama? She go to Sunday school? She make good grades? In fact, let me see her report card. Let me see if this girl is worth raising from the dead. He doesn't ask any of that. He doesn't say, tell me about her. He grabs her hand and says, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. I came here to tell somebody, Jesus does not consult your past when he comes to resurrect your future. Jesus will never consult your past when he comes to resurrect your future. Oh, he's more committed to you than you are to you. And he grabs this, this, this girl by the hand and says, Talitha Kumai, I say to you, arise. I hear that prophetically by the Spirit that the Lord is saying to you, Talitha Kumai, I say to you, arise. I'm pulling you out of the miry clay and I'm ready to set your feet upon a rock. Today is the last day that you ever spend another day in that place. Talitha Kumai doesn't consult your past when he comes to resurrect your future. And this is literally where I am. This is why I love Mark 5, because in this story, we see two people. We see a religious man and a rejected woman. We see Jairus, this prominent religious figure who comes to the end of his religious self and realize, it realizes there's nothing that can heal me in this synagogue. I gotta go find the savior. But then we don't just have a religious man. We've got a rejected woman who is completely forgotten by society, completely marginalized, completely neglected. And she finds her miracle the same place the religious guy found his. Can I tell you right now, I don't care what end of the spectrum you are on. I don't care what political party you align with. I don't care what kind of dysfunction you walked in here with. We all find our miracle in one man, and that man's name is Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if it was enough for me, I came here to tell you he's enough for you. That he's the only son of God, our Lord. And when we believe that, we put our faith in the one who came to us regardless if, if we're super religious or we've been rejected and neglected by society, there is a level ground at the foot of the cross. We all find our healing. We all find our miracle in the name of Jesus. And right now with every head bowed, just for a moment in privacy and concentration, I just want to give an opportunity for those of you who have never said yes to Jesus to say yes to him this morning. If you would say, Keenan, I've, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never accepted the free gift of love and grace that only Jesus offers. I need to do that this morning. I'd like you to shoot your hand up in just a moment, but maybe you would say, Keenan, I've been here. I've grown up in the church, but you know what? I've begun to slip and I've begun to put my faith more in my church attendance, more in my ability to memorize scripture, more in my ability to be a good person than I have the person of Jesus. And you would say, Keenan, I wanna put my faith 
afresh in Jesus this morning. If you want to do that for the first time or for the first time in a long time, when I count to three, I just want you to shoot your hand up as a sign of surrender and faith. One, God loves you. Two, now's your moment. Come on, three. If that's you right now, hands going up literally all over this auditorium. Praise God. Praise God. Too many hands for me to, to, for me to, to count right now. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every hand that is raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart that is yielding to you. Lord, I thank you that where the enemy has come in like a flood, your grace raises up a standard against him. And Lord, I thank you right now that they are saved, not because of anything that they've done, but because of everything you have done. I call them yours. I call them eternally secure. They never have to wonder another day in their life whether they are going to spend eternity with you. It's done. It's sealed. It's not contingent upon their faithfulness. It's contingent upon your faithfulness. And you will never fail. You will never fail. You will never fail. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together for those who just said yes to Jesus? Come on. Woo. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to say a blessing. Just pray a blessing over you before we leave. We're going to have some prayer partners come forward. They would love to pray with you. If you have any need in your life, they'd love to stand in agreement. This is a great place to find your inner circle. This is a great place to find that inner circle. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everybody under the sound of my voice right now. Lord, I thank you that they leave here knowing who they are in you. Lord, that they know that they are blessed in the field. They are blessed in the storehouse. Lord, I thank you that you will cause everything they put their hand to to prosper. Lord, I thank you that they will enjoy your presence, not just in this room, but in every room that they walk into. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to them even when they are faithless. You are faithful even when they are faithless. And I speak a blessing over them. Let them have an amazing week. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank y'all so much for coming to church today. We love you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.